you want a little clip that makes everybody laugh and feel good. You know what I mean? Instead, it's like, ooh. But I'm really not funny. No, no. And we shouldn't have a podcast. What? <laughs> okay. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Welcome to Hawkeyes. I'm Harper. I'm Jonathan. And uh, we have a super special guest with us today. Uh, you might have seen her somewhere walking around. I don't know. <laughs> if you stalk us, yeah. <laughs> uh, you you could have seen a tweet or two. Uh, our guest, I know. Probably not. Probably not. Well, here she is. It's Gabby Zavaleta. Hi. Hi. I, think, I, think, I think you've been mentioned on the yeah, we've before. definitely mentioned you several times. Yeah. I know that because I listen to every episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you'll love to sing our our theme song with us, won't you? Do you know how it goes? Hot guys. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's it. That's like Batman. <laughs> we get sued. Do you want to hear my no, my, my theme song that I want to my alternate theme song that I want for us that Jonathan yeah. hates? Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Sing along if you if you, if you, if you know. Ethan Hawk do 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 Ethan Hawk do 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 Ethan Hawk do 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 Ethan Hawk. Yeah, that's it. Daddy Hawk. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and turn your guys' mics down oh, and then wow. do this episode by myself. That's rude. And I'll do characters and stuff. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Do your yeah. impression of, of Gabby show. right now. Do my impression of Gabby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like I you're having a do... conversation with her. With her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is no. going to be really good. Yeah, no, do no, both no, people. No, 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 no. Okay. Oh, you're doing it? <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal with the Queen of England? <laughs> that's Gabby? Yeah, that's my Gabby impression. <laughs> she's always talking about the Queen of England. No, she's not. I'm just, you know. Yeah, that's she's a, not true. She's a royal critic. A critic of the royals. Yeah, not like a... <laughs> like a... A critic, like but a like a, a real, you know. Right. Oh, I see. I was thinking like someone who like writes in newspapers about like the Queen's outfits or something. Oh, okay, like yeah, yeah. Critic. There's a lot of different translations of that term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's or like you could the... be a person who is a royal who also criticizes things. Yeah. Yeah. Which I am. <laughs> yeah, so that's my impression. Here's my impression now. I'm not gonna, I don't have an impression of you, I'm sorry. You don't have an impression of me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I do. <laughs> I thought you might. Let's hear it. <laughs> hey guys, I'm Harper. <laughs> wow, I feel called out. <laughs> I feel like you should feel seen yeah. and understood. Thank you. Then, yeah, I do feel seen and understood. Yeah. <laughs> That's what this podcast's all about. Yeah, I feel like your impression of me. Is, no, I'm getting it confused with your, my impression of your. Uh, your impression of my mom. Yeah, that's a tough one. It's yeah. tough. I just I've tried so many times to do it and I cannot get it right. Yeah. She's a she's a tough uh, 
case to crack. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Um, yeah. So what do we do here on this podcast? (laughs) Oh, okay. We talk about Ethan Hawke movies. 25 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so this is a really important question. This is the first and most important question of the episode. What is your relationship with Ethan Hawke, and how do you feel about him? What's my relationship with him? Mm -hmm. Well, I've never met him. (laughs) Uh, Like, what of his movies have you seen, and did you like them? And did they leave like have an impact on um, you in any way? Well, Training Day. I think Training Day is probably the first Ethan Hawke movie that I saw. Mm. Um, I think our parents really like that movie. Um, so I probably watched it with them when I was young. Um, and did, that's a great Ethan Hawke Sorry, Hawk real role. quick. Did we say that you guys are related at all? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's all. Okay. Continue. Yeah, you guys being Gabby and Ethan Hawke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A notable member of the Hawke family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gabby Zavaleta. Gabby Zavaleta Hawke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, continue. Yeah, Training Day, um, starring Ethan Hawke and Denzel Washington. Um, that's a great movie. Uh, I saw it. I probably have not seen that movie in a decade, so who knows if it's actually... Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time either. But I think that was definitely the first movie that I saw with Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's that scene when he's like in the bathtub and they're about to kill him. Oh, spoilers. I haven't Spoiler, seen it. Uh, spoilers. He doesn't die. <laughs> <laughs> That's a worse spoiler. Um, yeah, and I was like, nice. Yeah, that was yeah, an intense nice. scene. It's an intense scene, and I think that was the first time I, like, had any conception of Ethan Hawke as an actor and also as someone who's, like, attractive, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've seen... <laughs> have you seen Dead Poets Society? I have seen Dead Poets Society, um, but at the time, I don't think Ethan Hawke really stood out to me in yeah. that role because first of all I watched it in class like in high school which is not like real mm-hmm. conducive to paying attention yeah. yeah and I also you know I sort of couldn't really because I wasn't paying that much attention I couldn't tell all the boys apart yeah mm-hmm. it's a big ensemble cast of white dudes white so. boys, boys that yeah look pretty you know pretty similar, similar. Yeah. yeah same clothing same haircuts yes. yeah yeah um well let me just spit out a few other popular ones you might have seen have you seen gattaca oh i have seen gattaca i watched that in high school also in class wow what class yeah uh biology nice With, is it is that related it to has dna it's gattaca uh, is like okay. a dna because mm-hmm. dna is made up of atcs and g's mm-hmm. gattaca and Gattaca oh, has all Spoiler. <laughs> Damn. Is that a spoiler? No. No. Have you seen it, Harper? Yeah, I also watched it in uh, high school. Okay. I have not I seen it. I watched it in an English class, though. I think my teacher at the time just liked Ethan Hawke because we watched Gattaca in that class, and we also watched Snow Falling on Cedars. Speaking of English oh. teachers who like things, white actors, um, <laughs> my English teacher, I'm just going to not name her. Yeah. Wonderful teacher. Mm-hmm. 
delightful lady. She had a full-size cutout of Orlando Bloom in her, just in the classroom. Nice. Just because she liked Orlando Bloom. And she would talk about Orlando Bloom a lot. That's fun. Nice. Um, And I remember one time, this is not exactly related to Orlando Bloom, but I remember one time, because, you know, she had a lot of opinions, obviously, about males. And one time she was like, she said that she didn't like boy bands. And I distinctly, I don't know how this is possible, but I distinctly remember at the time not knowing the term boy band, Hmm. which seems crazy, but I think at the time I didn't know what a boy band was. Well, I don't think we had ever really listened to boy bands. Yeah, I mean, like, I knew who NSYNC was and Backstreet Boys, but I think I just didn't know that there was a term for those kinds of groups. Hmm. So when she said she didn't like boy bands, I was like, I was just in my head, I was like, even the Beatles? (laughs) (laughs) I just assumed she meant, like, any band that consists of Of male members. Of boys, Yeah. yeah. That, that that's what a boy band was. I don't know what her beef with boy bands is, though. I mean, come on. Yeah, no. They're great. I want it that way. Tell me why. You know? Do you remember... Uh... Was it Miss Mitchell? No. Okay. No, it was Miss Lamelli. We'll cut this out. I feel like Training Day is like a movie that's... It's like a sort of dad action movie mm-hmm. yeah. that would appeal to dads like ours. But it's also just sexual enough to where you're uncomfortable when you watch <laughs> it with your parents and you're like 10 years old or whatever. Yeah, there's definitely an uh, Ava Mendes nude scene. Oh, interesting. I don't know anything about this movie, clearly. Yeah, and then there's I think like they're the cops. Alien, That's all I know. Alien ship. Mm-hmm the crashes uh-huh. and then there's uh denzel washington goes back in time and kills his character from deja vu mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And ethan hawk goes back in time as well and then kills julie delby's character from before sunrise and walks around with himself also the <laughs> whole movie takes place on a train <laughs> and in one day yeah nice. one of those things is true <laughs> oh i see what you did there train day Training, yeah, yeah, train in a day. Yeah. Have you seen? Speaking of trains, have you seen the Before series at all? I have not. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. How about the taking of Pelham One Two Three? That doesn't have Ethan Hawke. (laughs) It doesn't have Ethan Hawke, but the original taking of Pelham One Two Three, the like nineteen seventy four maybe movie. Mm -hmm. That's a great movie. And you should all watch. I I think I might have seen it. New one. Who's in the new one? I don't know. It's, it's, a, Denzel, it's Denzel and Julia Roberts, I believe. Oh, okay. Nice. Because that I was that episode that of 30 Rock where they kept mentioning the taking of Pelham 123, <laughs> and they're like, what? And it's because it was just on cable, so they had all seen it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then Jonathan's like, he's like, oh, there's an offer on Showtime. And Jack Donaghy's like, I don't want to hear about that. And then he hears about taking of Pelham 123. He's like, Jonathan, get me Showtime. <laughs> It's funny. That's funny. Well, we're here today to talk about a film called Search and Destroy. Mm-hmm. Came out in 1995. Or if you're like the uh, the title card of the movie, it's called Search Destroy. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Isn't there like a break in between those two? two oh yeah. And it's Dustin. At the beginning of the Dustin, movie, it just Dennis. shows search yeah and then about halfway through the movie it's destroyed Destroy, yeah which also 
the title has basically nothing to do with the movie. I think... Um, I kind of feel like it might have been related to the character in the book. Like, something that he would have done. You know, like, Search and Destroy sounds like... You Daniel, know, Daniel... Daniel Strong. Daniel Tiger. Strong. Daniel Tiger. <laughs> Daniel Strong. Yeah, I also thought that... I don't know. It might have something to do with the the character arc in the movie. Mm-hmm. Where in the first half, he's basically... I guess if we're getting into the plot of the mm-hmm. movie, searching for ways to get his movie made, and in the second half, it's all like crumbling down around him when he gets wrapped up in all these sort of crime enterprises. But sure, I also sure. don't think it was very well executed. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which is something I think about really <laughs> captures this movie. Is what really wasn't very well executed. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah, I think it was, um, you know, kind of not the same as Floundering, which was another movie that we recently I think watched. This is better. Than this was better than Floundering, but I think it also kind of missed the mark. Yeah. Of what it was, I mean, you mm-hmm. know, it was like clearly like absurdist. Yeah, it's masculine, a satire, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Which I think this this like period of mid '90s was mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. Uh, defined by that style of filmmaking right you know satire and also like really heavy white manliness yeah what movie does some social commentary and white manningness well and has martin scorsese and john Giorgio and barton fink no there's quiz show Oh, quiz show, yeah, quiz show was yeah. good. We did I was also thinking watch about this. that. I mean, I had to think about this when we were watching yeah. this because it has John. So Tojo, much overlap in the cast. It has Martin Scorsese Marty. in an acting role. Yeah, where he's like playing a mm-hmm. authority figure, mm-hmm. and it has Ethan Hawke, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, another cast crossover between this movie and another movie we've seen is um, Ileana Douglas. Yeah, who, she looks so familiar. She, to yeah, because she, she was in she Alive. Felt- she was the one woman in Alive that was like uh, she's uh, she was the one. Do you know the premise of Alive? I, I did listen to the episode. Oh, cool. Yeah. So yeah, she's the one that like wouldn't eat people, mm-hmm. and then um, finally she said, "Okay, I'll eat people," but then an avalanche. There was avalanche, an avalanche. Yeah, yeah, and then it was too late. Damn. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Anyway, so crossover. A lot yeah, of... I because I was thinking about when I was watching this movie that I think the good version of this movie would be something made by the Coen brothers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I felt like it had you know it's sort of a movie about a guy trying to get a movie made and it has sort of this satire about you know the film industry about you know men in power sort of and about this like every man who gets caught up in these situations that are larger than he can handle and I feel like that those are all themes that the Coen brothers do really, really well. That's true. And yeah, I, I was definitely reminded of Barton Fink because of um, John Turturro. Also, he's writing a writing a movie in that. Right. Yeah. 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 And it has a violent. And it, yeah, and like the yeah, exactly. And there's this uh, sort of charismatic character that he meets. You know, like yeah, John true. Goodman, yeah, that yeah, yeah. ends up precipitating a lot of the chaos that comes later in the movie that's true yeah i've actually never seen barton fink but 
It's got to got to put it on the list. Yeah. yeah, sounds good. I'd like to get through all of. I think it's one of the weirder Coen Brothers movies, and that's. I'd say so. That's kind of saying a lot it. because the Coen Brothers do some some weird stuff. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to get through their whole filmography. Next podcast. Yeah. There's got to be one about them already, though. So let's talk about this movie. <laughs> okay. Um, I thought that the intro scene. So the it, the movie opens up with. Uh, Dennis Hopper, and he's doing in a in a typically subdued role, mm-hmm. <laughs> yelling at a TV screen. Yeah, so he's like reading off of a teleprompter and doing this kind of like motivational speaker. Yeah, uh, middle of the night kind of TV show. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but it's and, insane. Yeah, it's yeah. it's wild. Yeah, like his advice is like peak, a, like yeah, Jordan his, Peterson or something. Oh yeah, yeah. I I totally thought that he was a mix of like Ayn Rand and Jordan Peterson. Even though this movie preceded Jordan Peterson's career, I guess, mm-hmm. but it's definitely reminiscent of that whole self-help. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of advice where the advice is just be an asshole, and I you know I thought it was a critique of Ayn Rand because. Like, it's a self-help book, but it's a novel. So he writes this novel called Daniel Strong, which we don't ever really get to know the plot of, but you can tell that it's the self-help sort of thing. Yeah, it's an adventure story, and then there are these, like, few pillars of advice that are Mm -hmm. central to it. I thought it kind of reminded me of Network a little bit, just the way it was shot, because it was, Mm -hmm. like, very dark behind him, and so, you know, then he was very lit. Mm-hmm. And so visually, it looked a lot like network, and also he was ranting, yeah, in a similar right, fashion, right. yeah. Yeah, I feel like it had a lot of components of of movies that, that I make, really like. Yeah, that would be really yeah, good. Mm-hmm. like this yeah. like social satire, this idea of like this self help book, it's kind of interesting. Dennis Hopper, Christopher Walken, yeah, the, yeah, cast. the great cast, the cast yeah. like, it's just like the, the 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 plot and the premise, like all these things seem kind of interesting, and then it just kind of doesn't land. Mm-hmm. So, Dennis Hopper's character. Do we remember what his name is? Doctor Waxling. Waxling. Yeah, Doctor. Right. Yeah, Doctor Waxling. So he holds up a book, the, the book that he wrote, and the on the image of the book, there's like a a boy with a, like a bowl cut and wearing a white tank top, and then it cuts to like a a scene with that boy, and he's running through a field and then jumping into a waterfall, and he comes up and he's like a man. Yeah. 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 And um, that's kind of our introduction to Daniel Strong. Yeah. And what what was some... like the, He tells all of the advice right in the beginning of the movie. And I don't remember what all of them were. But oh, I wrote like, it down. You wrote it down? Okay, that's good. Yeah, nice. so there are the four rules of success, which I thought was like very reminiscent of Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but his four rules of success are number one strength needs no excuse number two the past is pointless number three just because something happens to you doesn't mean it's interesting and number four the things you apologize for are the things you want yeah which i thought would somehow like play into the plot of the movie but i don't necessarily know yeah i can't think how any of those points have a direct connection i think that the one thing that is repeated a lot throughout the movie is don't apologize yeah Mm -hmm. and so that definitely comes from the book because the people that say that are people who are followers of the book 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's the one that I guess comes into play, but I guess yeah. they make some mentions, but yeah, it's not mm -hmm. like really directly related to the plot. Yeah, I think it's just that those are the kind of the things that are driving the main character because mm -hmm. like he feels that he's lacking all of those things in his life, and mm -hmm. so he tries to apply them really directly on his journey. Right, right, right. All of those things. Yeah, so we have this guy, Daniel... No, not Daniel. The main Stone. character? Markheim. Marty. 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 Yeah, Markheim. Marty yeah. Markheim. And you see him in the beginning. He's dealing with this money problem. Yeah, I think he owes uh, like $150,000 in back taxes. Yeah, and Martin Scorsese is the one that's he's breaking the accountant. news to him. Yeah. And he's that's how he's credited also in the credits, just as accountant. Yeah. 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 yeah, and so then... I have this note that says Christopher Walken saying weird shit, but I don't remember. But I think it might have been at the party. Yeah, he he goes to a party. And yeah, I think so it's Marty his goes to a party. Brother-in-law's party. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And his his uh, wife, who he's separated from, is also there. Mm -hmm. And so he's trying to ask his brother-in-law for some money so that he can buy the rights to Daniel Strong and make a movie, even though he's never made a movie before, and yeah. he owes all this money now. Yeah. So right. he's really just looking to get further in debt, basically. Yeah, he, yeah. I think it just shows how sort of sucked into the this book he is and how he yeah. thinks this you know, book has changed his life, I guess, and mm -hmm. thinks that the way forward in his life is to adapt it into a movie mm -hmm. and so he's at this party and you just kind of see christopher walking in the background for a while mm -hmm. like he's not he's not doing it he's just standing there lurking and um we find out that the business partner of the brother-in-law has done a lot of drugs in the bathroom or something and right so the brother-in-law has a business partner that's trying to get clean i mm -hmm. think and then he ends up doing drugs in the bathroom and apparently someone at the party sold him drugs. Mm -hmm. It's the conclusion. Oh, I see. Yeah, but during this time, uh, Marty is talking to Christopher Walken, and he finds that Christopher Walken has also read the book, and they're just talking about the book and how it's some they should make it into a movie. And then it turns out that Christopher Walken was the one that sold the guy the drugs. Right. And they ask him to leave the party. Mm -hmm. But before he leaves the party, while he's talking to Martin, he does give him his business card. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then pretty, I guess pretty shortly after that, he... Oh, no, the, the, yeah, the next thing he, he does is he goes to find um, Dennis Hopper. Yeah, that's and in tries Texas. To, yeah, he flies in all the way to Texas, and he tries to make a deal with him to get his rights. But the first person he encounters is... Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. So I'm going to play that scene right now just because Ethan Hawke's in such a small amount of this movie. Sure, yeah. Um, so let me pull that up. It might take a second. It's a personal matter. Hello. Hello. I'm Roger. Yes, all right. You want to see Dr. Waxling? That's correct. That's not possible. Why? Because he's busy. Perhaps I can help you. It's a personal matter. Of what nature? Of a personal nature. <laughs> well, getting personal is what we're all about here. But what you should know is that Dr. Waxling requests that applicants first complete the mastery sessions before any kind of consultation can take place. Now, what I can do is set up... Who are you? Excuse me? Who are you? I'm Roger. Dr. Waxling's personal assistant. Roger. 
Roger, okay. I'm not here for that. Would you please tell him that Martin Merkheim is here to see him? I am president of Merkheim Enterprises Incorporated. I have flown here directly from Florida. I have some very important business to discuss with him. And what company would that be, sir? Merkheim Enterprises is a diversified organization I'm focused primarily in the field of entertainment. We're a prominent presence in the southeastern states. My company owns several television stations in Florida and Georgia, WKRG there, and we have interest or active in the area of motion picture production, which perhaps you've heard is uh, prime for some explosive growth in the <laughs> peninsula with heavy involvement from the major studios. Yeah, it must be great. Well, in fact, it is. It's very exciting. And unfortunately, I have a very busy schedule here in Dallas. I'm meeting shortly with some petroleum people. I'm leaving tomorrow. So if Dr. Waxling wishes to meet, it's going to really have to be in the next half hour. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I'm afraid you're out of luck. Dr. Waxling's taping all day. Okay. Roger, that's very good. No, but look. Sir, I, I know you're just doing I, your job. No, and that's no, all sir, me. I told you. Dr. But you Waxling, don't quite understand. No, I, do, I, I, do, fact, I do understand. I do. You want to see the doctor, right? and you can't. I will tell him that you came by, you can leave him a note, you can send a fax, but you cannot see him. Okay, can I just say that your behavior here... Sir, I should tell you that this building is an excellent security staff. And that's a threat now. Now you're threatening. Is that a threat? Are you threatening me? Hmm? Enjoy your stay in Dallas. So, yeah. That's uh, Ethan Hawke's first of two scenes in this movie. Yeah. So he's playing a Texan again. <laughs> it's pretty consistent now. <laughs> what What else was he a Texan in before? Um, I before sunrise. Bef- I feel before sunrise. It's not explicitly stated, but I. But since it's a Richard Linklater movie, it's yes. a Richard Linklater <laughs> movie. So yeah. Um, Reality bites. Reality yeah. bites is yeah, in yeah, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. The Hottest State, his book. He's from Texas. It's not... Uh, we haven't gotten to that yet, but... Um, he wrote Hottest State in... It came out in 96, so and this is 95, so he like would have been writing it in 94, 95, during this period of time where he was playing several Texan characters. Mm-hmm. Where is he actually from? I believe he's from Texas. Oh, okay. Well, that makes yeah. sense. I didn't know that. We learned just last week that his middle name is Green. Yeah. Had no idea. So crazy. Been doing this show for a while. Had no idea. Never once pulled up the Wikipedia. Just like, I just didn't register it. You know what I mean? Right. But there you go. Yeah, I suddenly can't remember any movies that he's ever been in. Uh, Boyhood? (laughs) Texas. There you go. It's Richard Linklater. It's Richard Linklater, yeah. Um, So... Do we have any other feelings about Ethan Hawke in this scene specifically? We should focus on him a little bit. Um, his hair is really slicked back. Yeah, I thought his, uh, his hair and his suit were very of the time. And when yeah. I first saw him, it kind of made me laugh, <laughs> the way that he looks in yeah. this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I also thought it was interesting that he's playing, I mean, he's a personal assistant, but he seemed like he was kind of there to be, like, a little bit of muscle, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I don't really see Ethan Hawke that way. Right. Like, I'm sure he works out, but... I think Ethan Hawke tends to have a sensitivity in a lot of his roles, Mm -hmm. and that's why I think you don't necessarily see him that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to believe that he um, 
could actually do anything to this guy. You know, but like, or like, like he seems like this character even just feels like he has more bark than bite. You know. Yeah. But then later he does actually. Yeah, time up. Time up and yeah. flick him in the head a lot, but. Uh, he has yeah. some height on him. Yeah. How tall is Ethan Hawke? Mm. Let's all guess. Up. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say he's six five foot. eleven. I, I'm. I want to say six foot also. Yeah. All right, I'm googling it right now, if my phone will cooperate. Ethan <laughs> Hawke. It's with an E at the end. I know. I keep, I keep hitting R. Ethan Green Hawke. Who? We all went over. Wow. He's 5'10". Uh, I was closest. You were closest, but you but went over. But I still over. went over. Yeah. What is that game that you can't Price go is over? Right. Price is Right. Okay. Yeah. So, I, so I lose. Uma Thurman is 5'11", and Maya Hawke is 5'9". Nice. Wow. In case you were wondering. That's fun. It just came up. It was related. Like, people search the height of their whole family at once. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, if you're gonna, if you're interested in the height of one person, you know. Have Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman been in anything together? Two things. Um, Gattaca. Oh, yes, Gattaca. Of yeah. Of course. And Tape. Okay. Which we're also coming up on in a little bit. Groovy. That's with also Robert Sean Leonard <gasps> making a comeback in another <sighs> Ethan Hawke film. Wow. <sighs> And it's a Richard Linklater movie. It's like really just every Ethan Hawke person mm-hmm. c- combining into one film. I'm pretty, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know anything about I it. I talked to a guy once who was like really into it. Oh yeah? I like, he had like a, he had a film uh, zine. It was like an architecture film zine. Mm-hmm. And I like interviewed him about it. And that was one of the movies he listed as like, being really into like if he said that if, if there was like a movie because they the project discontinued and he mentioned that if there was a movie that, that they could go back to mm-hmm. that would be one of them so nice. it's really cool yeah it's, so so I, i've been looking forward to it since since then since i heard of it because mm-hmm. we were talking about movies that are set in one place we were talking about movies that are set in one place mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that was that was one of them yeah so. So, Ileana Douglas is also in this scene. I'm not going to play it because she's in a large portion of this movie, but mm-hmm. she is, like, the secretary for Dr. Boxling. Yeah. And so he uh, takes her out on a date later yeah, after Martin this. Does. Yes. Mar- Martin does. And you can see in this scene with Ethan Hawke, she's also in the scene. She's just mostly watching what's taking place, the conversation mm-hmm. between the two of them. And this is going to be relevant on their date and later on but when martin says that he's in movies movie production you can see her kind of perk up another thing Mm -hmm. that i thought was funny is she sort of rolled her eyes at ethan hawk Mm -hmm. which i thought was kind of funny which i thought also thought when he said oh we have like top top-notch security oh yes when he's yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah. which i also thought like lent to the idea that he's he's more bark than bite yeah oh yeah that's true yeah yeah so she asks if he wants to read her screenplay Mm -hmm. yes on their date yes Mm -hmm. and uh her name is marie marie yes and And she proceeds to describe the plot in in the best scene scene in the movie i think my favorite scene in the movie is they're having dinner together, Yeah. Martin and Marie, mm-hmm. and she's describing the plot of her screenplay to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic. So the movie is like this... It's like a 
uh, horror gore porn basically gore, yeah. Like, yeah incredibly yeah. gory horror film and she basically describes like the the climax scene in which there's this monster that has like like a barbed penis yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. a penis so, claw she a says penis claw. yeah, yeah. yeah. It, like goes to attack the the protagonist's face and then she like pulls a sod of somebody or something and then cuts it off and like and then she's describing like the blood pouring yeah. out and stuff like that it was it was a very it was a, it was a very good scene mm-hmm. it was very clever mm-hmm. and he's just like watching in horror as she's describing this this movie yeah, like she's excitedly and enthusiastically describing this schlocky gore porn horror movie that has, you know, that combination of extreme gore and violence and monsters and also like this sexual tone to it. You yeah, know, where the, yeah. the protagonist, as she describes it, is uh, like a fully realized female character with huge tits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, like that down. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, and then he says that that's not really like the kind of movie that they make. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because Martin is very set out to like change the world with yeah. his adaptation of Daniel Strong, which he thinks is, you know, he sort of takes as like the bible right right Mm -hmm. and then she at the end of the date she ends up giving him i guess like a backstage pass or whatever or something like that so that she can go back so he can go back and try to see dr waxlink Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes and then he basically tries to do that oh but before that she she comes on to him Mm-hmm. And he's celibate right now. He's mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think because of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he's yeah, yeah. yeah he's Which, testing himself like Daniel t- Strong tests himself in the yeah. book. His tempt his uh, response to temptation. Which reminded me of like a Proud Boys thing, which I think yeah, has yeah, some yeah. overlap with like the kind of J- Jordan Peterson fan base. Yeah. Even though this movie really did precede both, you know, maybe all he Jordan watched Peterson's. this movie. <laughs> Career. Yeah, and in Proud Boys, it, it comes way before. Yeah, I yeah. Really like Proud Boys, but this idea of like this toxic masculinity that promotes or emphasizes celibacy, or like in terms of in the case of Proud Boys, it's no masturbation or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. It it did feel very kind of like something that we had actually seen before like it didn't feel far-fetched at all right yeah right because it's similar to things that exist and there's a group of people that gravitate to these sorts of things yeah which is sort of how i felt like how i felt a lot about this movie is that the points it's trying to make are are kind of interesting and the, the satire of this kind of fandom over a certain type of book or media yeah. that is like very male Mm-hmm. targeted and you know has this certain view of masculinity I thought was very like the, there's a lot I think going on like that today that is definitely worthy of satire yeah I think maybe that the source material is what was providing that because wasn't it, it was based on a play wasn't it I think it was yeah yeah I think it was, was a play there was a play first and I think maybe it's possible that the source material had these kind of 
ideas and then it got a little bit lost in the adaptation right that makes a lot of sense because i feel like there's not actually a lot of movement in this movie i thought the acting was really stagey mm-hmm. yeah, yeah the way and all yeah the way the lines were delivered as well yeah. as the the sets this like the settings throughout the movie so like every scene happens just kind of in like one place except for there's like one scene where they're in a car but other than that it's like I'm in this place now, we're having a conversation in this place, and then I'm going to leave this place, Mm -hmm. which is very play-like. Yeah. Right, right. Whereas in movies that are not based on plays, you'll have more motion. Yeah, it's more naturalistic, which I I felt. Yeah, and I felt like at the beginning of this movie, I felt really, like, sort of thrown off by the acting and Mm -hmm. and the way it was shot and everything. Um, And by the end of the movie, I had sort of gotten gotten more used to Mm -hmm. it, but... Yeah, that is something I wrote down. Yeah, so oh, then he... there was one more line, sorry, from that scene that I wanted to call out. Uh-huh. Where she uh, she asks him um, why he lies so much, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting because he, I feel like he really thought that he was coming off like confidently, and you know, right. like he was who he said he was. But for but she read him, it, yeah. right? Yeah, because he he flies out to Texas. To, mm-hmm. he's from Florida and yeah. then to meet Dr. Waxley and try to get this movie made and you know in that scene that we saw with Roger he's sort of talking up his, his qualifications uh, bona fides whatever. yeah mm-hmm. yeah his bona fides making himself seem more of a successful businessman than he actually is because yeah. we obviously know that he's in loads of tax debt and mm-hmm. he's separated and he seems like kind of this this loser character but um mm-hmm. Yeah, and she she sees right through that. But she's interested in him anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so then he says... I guess because she's still basic... Even though she sees through a lot of his... His his lying and his facade, like, she still kind of thinks that maybe they can get this movie made. Mm -hmm. That she has. So then they end up... Oh, wait, no. Okay, I was going to say that they take a train to New York, but there's a scene before that where he goes back to talk to Dennis Hopper's character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he, that's when um, that's Marie, second. yeah, Marie has given him the pass, but security won't let him into the taping. Right. Right. And uh, then there's another scene with Ethan Hawke that I'll play now. You grab me. You know how we choose to act in this world. That is how this world will turn out to be. I'd like you to just think about that. Okay, sir. Mr. Merkheim, isn't it? Roger. Hello. Good to see you. You still with us in Dallas? Oh, yeah. Great city. Mr. Merkheim, this pass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously, I'm curious. Where'd you get it? Ha. No, really. I really don't think that matters. I think that what matters, though, is that you are obstructing Dr. Waxling from conducting his business. And when he finds that out, well, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. We can agree on these facts. You run a booking agency in Boca Raton. You are legally separated from your wife. You are not a movie producer. Uh, You're not talking to studios. You're not making any deals. What you are doing is you're going back to the airport, Uh, back to your little mm -hmm. life, or we're talking about trespassing, harassment, 30 days, federal... That doesn't work. This pass has Marie's handwriting on it. Did you get this pass from Marie? Who? It just came upon her to give you this pass. Look, Roger, all I want... And Hunter, I, you've been, I wish I could shake your hand. <laughs> first impressions, huh? I, first I want, no, I need to tell you what a tremendous influence your work has, you know, drifting through my, my life, not knowing anything then 
a baby, afraid to admit I don't know anything more than a little baby. And you, in your work, to come along and you say, yes, it's okay, yes, it's true, it's true, and don't pretend, and that that will set you free. <laughs> whoa, whoa. I was gonna... Thank you. Are you fucking my woman? Pardon? That girl. Are you fucking her? <laughs> Roger, could you? Dr. Waxling would like to know if you've had sexual congress with Marie. Sexual congress? No. Is he been frisked? Yes. Ah! Ah! Hey, oh, hey, we've got your attention right. now. Hey, hello. Hello. There are two things that people do that rub me wrong. One is lying, and the other is fucking with my women. Not lying, sir. What? Not lying, sir. You're fucking with my things, my things. Now, that girl has a low self-image. She's easily manipulated. What makes you think that she won't tell me, huh? Oh, yeah. Everything. <laughs> I slept with her. You did? That's it. That's all. That's it. I mean, he just screwed her. That's it. That's, that's all. That's it. That's all. I just, we slept together. We slept. Oh, no, he's babbling. No, no, no just in the same bed to test myself. Like Daniel Strong does. Like who? Daniel Strong. Daniel Strong. Daniel Strong! Okay. I might cut that off a little earlier. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. In post. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's basically the last you see of him. Yeah. That's it. That's Ethan Hawke. Yeah. yeah. That's... That's all that he does in this movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's just the, the guy that... Yeah, uh, yeah both uh, Dennis Hopper and Ethan Hawke, like, you know, smack him up the back of the head. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that was kind of weird. Yeah. Visually. <laughs> I think re-watching that scene right now, I think what made me think that Ethan Hawke is tall is that his suit jacket is halfway to his knees. Yeah, it's a really big yeah, jacket. He, he, he dresses like a lot of like the basketball players in like oh, the 90s, the 90s yeah, yeah, yeah. used to dress like with yeah. these just enormously long suit jackets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah also like the shoulders were very wide yeah, on the jacket yeah. too. Yeah. Sign of the times. <laughs> yeah, so basically Tennis Hopper sees through him after they agree to talk business mm -hmm. he realizes he does not have any money he's like basically get out of here and then um at that point uh, they marty and uh what's her face marie decide to take a train to new york to go see yeah uh, i think um what's his face i think before then so dennis hopper tells martin to just go back to his life in boca raton or wherever he's from and you see martin i think try to stay in a hotel for another night and he can't afford it so he, mm -hmm. he's really sort of um yeah and he tries to get a flight back to florida too and it's a 700 dollars plane ticket yeah which yeah. is crazy expensive yeah i mean even by today's standards yeah yeah, to no, florida, that's a lot. Seven, yeah um so he you know we we sort of already know that he has no money and he's really a sort of 
running out of options at this point. And you can also tell that he does not want to go back to Florida because he thinks he's still on this adventure. And that's when he and Marie decide to take a train to New York to to meet up with Kim, who is Christopher Christopher Walken's character that he met at the party. Because he's sort of the only other person that Martin knows that knows anything about this book that he thinks might have money that he thinks might be able to set him on his way to realizing his dream of making this movie yeah and it was her idea to do that as well because he he brings up the fact that like oh there's this guy and he sees eye to eye and he's in new york and whatever she's like oh so why don't you just go to new york Mm -hmm. he's like oh okay and then he basically asks her to go along with him and she does yeah and then so they're staying with her cousin who's an artist Mm -hmm. and then martin goes to see kim at his office and i didn't really take a lot of notes in that scene but i did write down this guy seems delusional tbh which guy Uh, martin yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. oh i thought um there's when they're going to New York, there's a travel montage that made me laugh mm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And sort of their faces superimposed yeah. over old footage of trains. It, remind, it was, like, really specifically, I can't for the life of me remember what the movie is, but that's definitely, a, like, a callback to a specific movie. It's definitely referencing it's, something. Yeah, I but think it's, like, an sure old exactly French movie what. that's, like, black and white, but I can't think of what it is. Yeah. I think so. I think that's what it is. Or... Something like Strangers on a Train. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it is definitely footage from an old old black and white movie that features a a Mm -hmm. train journey. Yeah, and it... I don't know, it was kind of jarring in this Mm -hmm. movie because it's it's a little bit silly and... Yeah. Yeah, it's referencing something, but it... I like a lot of this movie. I think it doesn't quite land, but I think it was. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think this that was an enough. issue of like tonal, not mm-hmm. knowing the tone of the the movie was supposed to go for, in that moment. Yeah, I think, yeah, the reviews of this movie were actually really positive. Mm, interesting. Um, but what one of them did say, I can't remember which one, but it was like you have to go into this movie lightly. Mm-hmm. you know you can't take it too seriously mm-hmm. and so i think if we had not been maybe if we hadn't been watching so critically that it would we could have just been right yeah taken away by the fun of the train sequence yeah and i think maybe we'll talk more about this at the end if we give our you know final judgments mm-hmm. i guess but th- there was actually a lot about this movie that i did like and i did yeah enjoy. yeah yeah same yeah i just think that that a lot of the things just didn't connect in the way that they intended to Mm-hmm. So yeah, they get to New York, and Christopher Walken basically agrees to go along with with him and and help him make his movie. Mm-hmm. And then they go to dinner, which was fun. Right. So Martin approaches Christopher Walken in his office, mm-hmm. and he sort of tries to guess what Christopher Walken does for a living. Right. Christopher Walken prompts him. Okay, yeah. Tell me, what do I do for a living? Uh, oh right because at this point he still thinks he's a drug dealer yeah and he wants to help he wants to get some money by helping him with the drug dealing business okay tell me what do i do for a living <laughs> you're a drug dealer no it's the end of my christopher walken <laughs> that was impression. pretty good that was pretty cut good, that out yeah. no 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 it's staying in 
You do a Christopher Walken impression, <laughs> it stays in the show. Yeah. Oh, God. It's the um, one ground rule we have. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it, it sort of shows the, the naivete that Martin has. Like, it may be true that Christopher Walken sells drugs, mm-hmm. you know, to his friend at the party, but that's just, like, a thing that New Yorkers did in the 90s. I think it, you, yeah. you can tell yeah. in the movie that the kind of office they're in is not it's really not gonna a, be a, it's a, a It's a downtown yeah. Manhattan office. He's not, mm-hmm. like... Yeah, he's, he's some sort of businessman, and it's clear that he's involved in a lot of shady shit, but mm-hmm. this is someone who... Uh, yeah you know, is a businessman and does have money. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What did it turn out that his business was? Did he sell, like, know. medical supplies or something yeah, like that? Yeah, he does. Yeah. I think so. Maybe. Yeah, I don't remember. I think so. So they go to dinner at this place that has Asian dancers that are dressed like geishas. Yeah. Uh, they're dancing with fans <sighs> and parasols. Right. Yeah, this is like... And then my second favorite scene in this movie comes up, which yeah. is the Christopher Walken song and dance number. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you know what he was singing? I don't remember. I didn't, I didn't yeah, write I didn't it down. It, but um, but it's I'm a sure lot. Sure, we it's, can look it up. And uh, it's very fun to see him sing and dance. It is. It is. And he's like tap dancing specifically. He is, yeah. Yeah. He's like slightly good, just kind of like the way he talks. Like is also is also the way he dances. It's mm-hmm. just like you know, starts and stops. And Have you seen... Like, there's a music video that features Christopher Walken dancing. And the whole music video... Yeah, I'll have to find it. I forgot what it was. But the whole music video is just him dancing in, like, a hotel. Like, an empty hotel. Um, mm-hmm. And it's great. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Well, I also think Christopher Walken dances... Has a dancing in the beginning of The Deer Hunter. Oh, uh, maybe. He's I also he in might. Hairspray 2007. Yeah. In which right. he dances. So yeah, dances. yeah, he he's a song and dance man, so yeah. yeah, which is always great to see and he, he does do that in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's like wearing a turtleneck too, I think. Mm-hmm. Just adds to the effect. Yeah, that whole restaurant seemed like a little problematic now in twenty nineteen, for yeah, sure. It certainly is. Um but yeah. But I also feel like it's not unlikely that there were restaurants oh, yeah. like that in, in New York City yeah. in yeah, the 90s. Yeah, yeah, like sure. Asian-themed Asian restaurants themed, yeah, that are that like... Features high... entertainment of mm-hmm. women in stereotypical, not necessarily accurate, yeah. you know, definitely. Asian garb style of dance that's definitely directed toward a Western audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they go... Is they it? have that scene with John Turturro where he's mm-hmm. shirtless and he's getting fitted for a suit. Yeah. And he has insane long hair. Yeah. So then they meet John Turturro, who works for Kim, which is Christopher Walken's mm-hmm. character. Um, so Christopher Walken, I think, is trying to get Martin set up in some sort of business where he can make money. Right. It's a shady thing, and mm-hmm. I think they're going to do drug dealing, and I think his drug dealing henchman, henchman is uh, John Turturro's character, Ron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, uh, Martin meets him at, at the tailor's, and he's getting fitted for a suit. Yeah, and he, John Turturro talks very excitedly, and he gestures widely with his arms mm-hmm. while he's getting fit for the suit, so the sleeves are constantly ripping off, yeah. and the, the yeah, tailor yeah, yeah. is, like, running around him yeah. trying to catch up with his arms. Yeah. I think um, Martin mentions that he's from Boca Raton, that he's from Florida, and uh, Ron 
gives this whole monologue about why he loves New York. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that scene was kind of overlong and really boring, mm-hmm. despite the weirdness of John Turturro's character mm-hmm. and like the kind of weirdness of what he says. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that whole scene was a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really. I kind of was m- just missed. Like I was watching it, but I kind of just like missed what the what the point of that scene was. Me too. Yeah. I kind of felt like it I was. I kind of just didn't get what it was. What was going on? It was just like an offering to John Turturro to like be like, here, do your thing for like three minutes. Like I, you know, because right. he yeah. is fun to watch generally. Like yeah. I think he's like really an interesting actor, and yeah, I yeah, like yeah. watching him. But um, and so it kind of felt like we're gonna let you talk for three minutes. Go. I'm sure it was scripted because it's based on a play, but still, mm-hmm. it felt like the purpose of it was to showcase John Turturro. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was good. It's just kind of like yeah, it's yeah. Not the most necessary scene. I think because the this weird monologue that he gives doesn't really have a point. Mm-hmm. I think that's what made it seem so boring to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then at this point we finally get destroy. This is the point in the movie when oh, Destroy right, right, right. finally comes up. Yeah. the screen. Yes. Yeah, and then they go to do, they try to make a drug deal. Mm-hmm. In and, some warehouse. And, okay, what John Turturro is wearing is absolutely insane. He's wearing, like, a yellow blazer under a red blazer. <laughs> and he's wearing, yeah. like, these, like, gloves and no shirt. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely bonkers also he has a, a wild wig in this movie mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's revealed to be a wig yeah. but yeah um he kind of has a sort of like cosmo kramer hair mm-hmm. yeah yeah except like down instead of up yeah yeah and so they try to make this drug deal mm-hmm. and it just goes awry basically because they want to measure one of them brings out a scale. I think it was... Yeah. So, yeah, I think Kim or one of them yeah. pulls out a scale and they like want to measure to make sure that it's the right amount of cocaine or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, the... Yeah, I think they're trying to buy cocaine from these drug dealers mm-hmm. to presumably repackage, cut, and sell later on in order right. for Martin to procure the funds to make mm-hmm. his movie. Yeah. Um, but the drug deal goes bad mm-hmm. and i wrote down that there's a lot of dialogue in this scene that i also feel like is kind of pointless uh, mm-hmm. yeah but i maybe couldn't quite follow where there's a scene i'm not sure if it's in this scene or shortly after but where kim shoots a gun and then Turturro's, it's in the scene it's yeah, in the yeah, scene. yeah. yeah and then, right after yeah. the drug dealers the drug dealers are basically like nah we're not doing this and they leave mm-hmm. and then uh, chris rocket pulls out a gun and shoots it yeah, and then uh, Ron says, uh, what the fuck is that? And then Kim just smiles and says, what does it look like? And it's kind of like a lot of scene of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it doesn't, it, like, it kind of felt like it could have been funnier than it was, but mm-hmm. it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was, it's just a weird scene. Yeah, it was very Christopher rocket though. Um, um, so then they move on to a different scheme which is a credit card theft scheme mm-hmm. where they have all of these cards and so then they'd work with different cashiers to swap out real cards for these fake cards so that they'd collect the real cards and be able to 
get the money off of them. Right, mm-hmm. and they have they are discussing the scheme at a racquetball court for whatever reason. Yeah. I think the racquetball court was in I Ron's house. In Ron's house. Oh, yeah. Okay. At this point, they all go to Ron's house. Oh, I see. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they have. Oh, but they pick up. They pick um, up Marie, Marie on the way because it's our it's her birthday and, it's and her he's going to take her out. And yeah, Martin promised to take her to some fancy dinner. Mm-hmm. Right, um, right, right. So they pick her up. The rainbow room. Rainbow room. So they pick her up and then they go to Ron's house to discuss this scheme. And then when they're in the racquetball court, I I don't remember what instigated it, but Kim shoots Ron Ron in the gut. Yeah. 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 I think it was more or less senseless. Like he just. Yeah. Like there was like a small disagreement about Mm -hmm. something and he decides to shoot him. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like a disagreement about the scheme that and they hatch. And you can see this a little bit in the drug deal, but like, oh, this Kim guy is a, a little unhinged. A, yeah, he's yeah, unhinged, yeah. kind of crazy. And the, there is a scene earlier where like uh, Bart, Martin is asking him, like, why, you know, why he wants to go along and like make this movie, and he's basically just like, oh, it's exciting, like it's something different. It's different than like being in an office. And I think it seems, and it seems like, oh, he's like wants to positively affect people but no it's just like he just wants to do something thrilling whether that's yeah. like making a movie or killing someone mm-hmm. like he doesn't really care what it is he just wants to like do something do something different and entertaining yeah. to him so he shoots Ron and yeah. they put him in the trunk of the car yeah Ron's mm-hmm. car yeah and then he they he grabs Marie and gets her in the car also and they're driving but then he they get pulled over. Yes, they get right, pulled over right. for speeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at this point, Kim shoots the cop. Yeah. Yeah. And then Marie naturally is, like, freaking out. Yeah, because she doesn't know at this point. Because that... Yeah, because she didn't know that Ron had been shot. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which I guess that's good sound insulation in a racquetball court. It would make sense. Racquetball <laughs> yeah, courts yeah, are pretty yeah. loud. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she didn't know that, that Ron had been shot and that he was in the truck of the car. Yeah. So she didn't know that Kim would react in this way mm-hmm. to, to shoot the cop. So they're they're driving on some sort of bridge, I think. Mm-hmm. And they pull off in sort of a, a more, I guess, hidden area. Like, a hidden like an off. underpass or something. Yeah. And then he shoots the cop who pulls him over. And then Martin is also freaking out. But he helps Kim. I think throw, throw the cop's body yeah. over the mm-hmm. edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then at this point, I think she also finds... Ron's body. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how they put... They open the trunk and she finds him, so... And she's freaking out about that, too. Yeah. And Martin tries to take Marie... Mm-hmm. They try to leave. To leave and leave Kim behind... Because they're sort of done with the madness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kim shoots Martin. Yeah. But in the back. Yeah, but he doesn't die. He survives. And then Martin. Marie runs off. Marie runs off. And Martin beats Kim to death. Yeah, he just kind of throws his whole body at him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is interesting. I think when Martin is beating Kim to death. He says that he's stronger. He sort of repeats that he's stronger mm-hmm. than him. Yeah, Which yeah, I yeah. think is supposed to sort of call back to, to this idea of Daniel Strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then we cut. 
sort mm-hmm. of. And then we see the epilogue of the movie, mm-hmm. which is Martin and Marie have met back up with Dr. Waxling. Yeah, and now and Martin has an uh, insane goatee. Yeah, yeah, they have an insane goatee to show that like time a pimp has passed. Too. Yes. <laughs> and that also he's like cooler now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they have the money to give mm-hmm. Dr. Waxling for the, rights. for the rights to the movie. And the way that they made the money is mm-hmm. that they made Marie's horror movie and yeah. made a lot of, you know, on a very low budget and mm-hmm. it was very successful. So they ended up making all their money from shooting and making Marie's horror movie. Yeah, yeah. and they and show you get the to scene see, yeah. that she yeah. describes earlier in the movie and it's pretty much exactly yeah, what exactly she said. Yeah, exactly how she described it. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was fun. That was kind of like the most rewarding part of the movie was I to agree. see that she got to make her movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. she's just like totally like super excited about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think earlier in in the movie when Roger is, is confronting Martin, Ethan Hawke, he, mm-hmm. he says that Marie is sort of an like a gullible person. Mm-hmm. Or that she's easily manipulated, which mm-hmm. I didn't feel was true in this movie because she does. Oh, Dennis Hopper says that about her, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, because so. he says like, "Oh, she's gonna tell me that you slept with her or whatever," because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. has a low self-image. Right. Yeah. But you know, she basically like sets out to accomplish everything that she wants to do, and she yeah. does it. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's her idea to go to New York and everything, and it's her. And you while know. she's not with him, she's finishing her screenplay in New yeah. York. Like she's yeah. working on her own thing. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's writing these screenplays. Yeah, and she she makes her movie and is is successful. And did it say that she directs it in the Yeah, the written credits? and directed by yeah. yeah. And they make the movie and they approach Dr. Waxling and yeah. presumably at the end of the movie they're going to finally adapt Daniel, Daniel Strong. Strong, yeah. Yeah. Support female directors, you Support guys. Support female directors. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, this movie was uh, weird. It was fine. Yeah. It was fine and weird. Yeah, I think it had some good ideas. Definitely. And I like 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 we said, I like the stuff with her and her movie. Uh, some of the ideas about like Daniel Strong and all that stuff was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But it just kind of, I don't know. Right. I think there are a lot of elements in this movie that I sort of like. I like the cast. There are some aspects of the acting that I like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Griffin Dunn's portrayal of of Martin. I do think it's a little bit stagey, and especially at the beginning, I, I wasn't really into it. But I do think he does a good job of portraying him as a uh, as a sort of unlikable, smarmy guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, he he gets a the character across pretty well. Yeah. I liked Marie's character in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think she was my favorite character. Yeah, I like some of Chris Walken's performance. So so yeah, I think there are some elements of the acting and uh, as I said earlier, I think the some of the themes are really interesting like the satire of this uh the certain type of fandom around a certain type of book or right. or movie. But yeah, I think I think it might be partly the writing that that all of these themes aren't realized as well as they could be yeah mm-hmm. and i think yeah as i said earlier i think the better version of this movie is something like that the coen brothers could make mm-hmm. yeah and i was also thinking like i think griffin dunn is good 
mm-hmm. but I think that maybe if the character was a little more likable, yeah, like it that, might be that could just change better things. To watch. Yeah, it would be it would yeah. be easier to watch, which mm-hmm. I know is probably not the point. Right. This, the point of this movie is not for people to watch it easily, but I do think that if maybe someone like Chris Eigeman had played him. Uh, do you know guys know who he is? No, oh, he's in Kicking and Screaming, which you guys should really watch. Not the Will Ferrell movie, but before that, there was a movie called Kicking and Screaming, which came out about the same time, I think, as, and, this, as this movie. Yeah, and he's really good in that. And I think, and he has a kind of neurotic affectation that I think is kind of similar to this character, right? But more likable. And so I think something like that could have changed the movie in a way that we relate to it more. Yeah, I also thought like you could you could see something similar from um, Michael Stahlberg, like when mm-hmm. he's, he oh, plays yeah. Larry Gothic oh, yeah. in A Serious Man. Mm-hmm. I think it, there's this sort of similarity in the character in that he s- sees himself maybe as sort of an everyman, or he is sort of an everyman, but a lot of his who sort of ends up in in these situations that you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, do you have something to share with us? Like a hawk fact? Yeah, like a hawk fact. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Feels like a good time for it. All right, well, jeez, uh, that's not a good sound. Um, caca. <laughs> do we do hawk, hawk noises? Yeah. Oh, caca. Yeah. Oh, yours is more accurate that's than much ours. Better. Yeah. <laughs> Because we didn't know what a hawk sounded like at first. We're clearly very qualified for... When, yeah, when I, uh, I think I know what a hawk sounds like because I think I read somewhere that, okay, the old intro to the Colbert Report Mm -hmm. um, has this eagle flying in and it goes like, Uh to signal the start of the Colbert Report, I guess. But it's actually a noise of a hawk because eagles don't really make that kind of screech. Um, It just sounds more interesting because eagles just like chirp, I think. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cute. Uh, That's a fun fact. Yeah, hawk fact. Yeah. (laughs) It's a good hawk fact. All right, well, today's (laughs) hawk fact comes courtesy of Gabby Zavaleta. sound the eagle at the beginning of the Colbert Report is a hawk yeah because my my hawk fact was like as about as much of a stretch (laughs) as you could make so Griffin Dunn Uh is an actor in this movie and griffins are legendary creatures with the body tail and back legs of a lion lion. the head and wings of an eagle so it's a mythical bird Mm -hmm. so I wanted to find out about myths about Um, and so there's uh, courtesy of native-languages.org Native American hawk mythology in some tribes such as the Cheyenne hawks are associated with protection from enemies and seeing or dreaming about a hawk can be seen as a warning of danger Hmm. so there you go that's my hawk fact cool good hawk fact I think Gabby's is better Nice. Well, they both brought something to the table, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a special episode. We've got half the Ethan Hawk, but double the Hawk fact. Double the Hawk fact. Double the Zavaletta, too. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Cool. Um, so, do you have reviews and stuff? Is there anything? Oh, I mean, I kind of touched on it earlier, but. Because what, what I saw on Rotten Tomatoes indicated slightly different. 
Like, well, the reviews the received. Yeah, well, the reviews I pulled are from the LA Times and the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And are there any overarching conclusions that they come to about this movie? I'm going to take a real quick scan of this with my eyes, and then I'll let you know. <laughs> sure. So, worth noting that it was made... Did it, it was made on a $4 million budget, mm-hmm. and its return was $389,000. Woof. That's not good. That's not yeah. good. That's too bad. Um, yeah, so the LA Times review is by Peter Rayner, who I think we've heard from before and we'll hear from again, because he's a you know, notable film critic. And yeah, he he does have a very positive review of it. He calls it smart and facetious, mm-hmm. and he has um, high praise for all of the actors involved. And he also uh, commends the adaptation of the play into the movie, the screenwriting. Interesting. Uh, apparently, it's the writer director of Twister, hmm. who wrote the screenplay. Oh, okay. I was just looking. Let me at... make sure it's the same Twister that we're thinking of. <laughs> The one with the cow. Yeah. So I was I was looking at the play, and the play is written by Howard Corder, K O R D E R. He's the author of the nineteen eighty eight play Boy's Life, which earned him a Pulitzer Prize of Drama. Wow. Uh, his play Search and Destroy was adapted into a film. Among the screenplays he has written are The Passion of Ayn Rand. Yeah. Which see, that's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mm-hmm. thought has... immediately of Ayn Rand. Uh, Julie Zelpy in it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. There's yeah. a lot of crossover here. Yeah, because I just looked up Twister. So Twister, that he mm-hmm. uh, the that the screenwriter of the movie wrote also, wrote and directed, is not the Twister that we know with the cow, but it's, <laughs> uh, it's a 1989 film with Harry Dean Stanton, Crispin Glover, and Susie Amos, who was in Rich in Love. Nice. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so The Passion of Ayn Rand stars Helen Mirren as Ayn wow. Rand, who engages in an affair with Nathaniel Brandon, a psychologist who is 25 years younger than her. Oh, boy. The film also stars Julie Talpy as Brandon's wife. And Peter Fonda as Rand's husband. What year did this movie come out? Uh, 1999. It was a television film. Wow. Crazy. And he also, okay, Howard Corridor also wrote Lakeview Terrace. Do you guys remember that movie, Lakeview Terrace, with Samuel no. Jackson? He's like a Samuel Jackson. Yeah, Samuel Jackson. It has Samuel Jackson and Patrick Wilson and Kerry Washington. Wow. Do you not remember this? I don't, but it sounds like a oh movie I would like. Oh my god, this movie was absolutely bonkers. Okay, so here's the Wikipedia summary. Jackson plays a prejudiced LAPD officer who terrorizes his new next door neighbors because they are interracial. Oh, I did see oh, this. This oh, this sounds really familiar. I did see this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I, I watched it like at home or something. I don't something. know if I watched yeah, it. This is, I such, this is like a, a bad Twitter taken movie form. <laughs> so Samuel L. Jackson is black and he's a cop and he's like against interracial marriage. Yeah. So he tries to like terrorize, yeah, Patrick Wilson and Carrie Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely remember seeing things for this movie, but I don't yeah, know that I watched I, I it. I actually did see this movie. Amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Dude, I watched this movie. Holy crap. Yeah, we might have seen it together. Like at what home, though. Like on television, mm-hmm. on cable, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Wow. I, f- I totally forgot that was a thing. All right. So, yeah, I record her. Are we out? No, we have six minutes. Oh, okay. I said Howard Corder. Oh, I thought you said our recorder. Oh, and he's also one of the writers of Boardwalk Empire. Hmm. I hear So, good interesting career. Yeah, I've heard, also heard good things. Michael Pitt's in that show. And Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Who was in the last movie we watched, Floundering. So, the New York Times review is by Janet Maslin, our old friend. Nice. Um... So she calls it hollow but crazily arresting. <laughs> so, you know, not like a great review, but like there are a lot of, she does note that there are a lot of positives to this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and mostly she she calls on the uh, the performances by all the, right, the cast. Right. Yeah, I think it was undoubtedly engaging. I just, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a pretty apt, apt review. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I do think there are certain stretches of the movie that, that are a little boring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's not a long movie. I think it's about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but some of the scenes seem a little overlong to me. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention, when we first started the movie, well, it took us, like, several tries to watch this movie, uh, because we tried to stream it. It took us five it. hours to watch this yeah. movie. Yeah. yeah, this movie that's only 90 minutes. Um, but, so we tried to stream it, so we watched the first sequence of this film several times, Yeah. and um, I will say that I did really like the music at the beginning of the movie. It mm. was, like, kind of, a, like, a high-tension, like, classical piece mm-hmm. um, over... I forget what it was. It was like water or something. It was yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was like water, and then the credits are going by. But yeah. like really, like sort of simulated looking water. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like real water. It looks like a water you'd have on a ninety-five screensaver. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I liked that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we watched it repeatedly. But then we also played Mr. Toast. Oh my! While God. we were waiting yeah. for the yeah, yeah, yeah. for the movie to buffer. So that was fun. If you guys should check out Mr. Toast. Also, <laughs> try to figure it out. Yeah, shout out to um, our uh, what would, what should I call him? Our friend of the show. Friend of the show and emergency game board rescuer, <laughs> game uh, board yeah. game rescuer, uh, Max Max Fillet. Yeah. Game expert. Yeah, we Max ca- we Fillet called him frantically. Called him, letting him know that we couldn't figure out this game for <laughs> eight year olds. The game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Instead and of he helped up. us figure it out. Yeah, and he he helped us a lot. So yeah, he helped us homebrew Mr. Toast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we successfully played two rounds of it. Yeah. Mhm. So, yeah, I think that's really all I got for this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm Harper. You can find me at Harping About on Instagram. Uh, and something I've been enjoying outside of Ethan Hawke lately is uh, Iconography. Did I talk about that last week? No, I didn't. Iconography. It's a new podcast from Io Adebri and Olivia Craighead. And uh, it's real fun. It's real fun. Every week they talk about a, an icon. Okay. So, uh, Gabby, how about you? Where can the people find you? And do you have you anything to plug? <laughs> you can't. You can't find me. Have you been enjoying anything? 
Um, I'm not really on social media. Oh, actually, I do have a letterbox now. So nice. I guess you can follow me on yeah. Letterboxd. Um, it's at Gabby Z, G-A-B-B-Y-Z. Mm-hmm. Um, some things I've been enjoying lately. Um, the new Freddie Gibbs album, Bandana, Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib, I've, I've been really enjoying. And uh, something else, I think everyone should just watch Barry on HBO. Nice, I, I feel like to not do that. In, like, I know nobody in my life. I know it's a, a lot of critics like it and mm-hmm. everything, and I know nobody in my life watches that show, but I think it's, I think Bill Hader's a genius. I'm a big fan, and I, I really enjoy it. Even though it, you know, wrapped it's second season maybe a couple months ago mm-hmm. so yeah, a little bit you know if you have hbo go you can watch it whenever exactly so everyone go watch barry nice can you fit in your thing in the time we have left yeah sure okay. uh my name is jonathan do i have to say my name no okay well you don't have to know my name but uh you can find me on linkedin cool and uh form spring so hit me up on Formspring at, I want to say, Johnny Rocketman, and LinkedIn as the same God. handle. Uh, <laughs> and a thing I've been enjoying is, um, uh, like, that. Uh, I feel like I had a period where I was just listening to Dido, uh, Dido's White Flag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and seals crazy yeah yeah so so you'd like to plug the late 90s into early 2000s <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 so if you guys have not heard <laughs> dido if you haven't heard of dido like crazy get on it she even collabed with like eminem like yeah. so cool she check did. her out yeah she was not performing for a really long time and then one time oh uh, I- we have uh seven seconds okay bye guys This episode was produced by Harper Thompson and myself, Jonathan Zavaleta. It was edited by Harper Thompson, and our intro music, Hawk Song, is written and recorded by Connor Vance.